the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. John 8, 44 says that he was a liar from the beginning. Satan is a liar. And you know what's so subtle about his lies is that they're usually not just lies. There's sometimes a lot of truth mixed in so that they are deceptive things. If they were, and this is the way the cults are. If they were just outright lies, you could spot it like that. But it's usually truth mixed in with error. So it's truth out of balance or an extreme, or something that's so subtle and so muddy that you can't really discern it very well. He is the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says that uh, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are unbelievers, who the God of this world has blinded their minds. That's the way we were. We were deceived. You see, when you don't allow God's word to guide your thinking, you open yourself up to being deceived by satanic thinking. That's where we were at. As a Christ follower, it helps a lot in dealing with the lost to keep in mind that we were once lost too. We were once deceived by Satan as well as our own pride. When we cannot understand why people are unable to see the gospel truth that is so obvious to us, we need to think back to the time when our own minds were clouded by Satan's lies. Hello, it's good to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse Bible class of the air. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching as we learn some important truths from the third chapter of Titus, truths that will help us live victoriously in this ungodly society. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Have you ever shared your faith with a friend and, to your amazement and dismay, found yourself embroiled in a vicious argument? If you have been a Christian very long, you probably have. Now think back. Were you one to Christ or was anyone you know one to Christ as a result of such a dispute? Let's go to the Word now and see how we can avoid getting into such counterproductive situations. Now you want to understand this. You really want to understand this whole thing about being deceived. For this very reason, because those who we deal with in the world can be very and are usually very sincere. You witness to people, you tell them about God's standards, and they argue with you, and they they get very upset. And you know what? These are people who really believe what they believe. And these are people who are sincere. They are sometimes some of the most sincere people that you will ever meet. But they are sincerely wrong. They are deceived, and they don't know it. And um, they believe all kinds of lies and half-truths. And they are deceived. And we're to have compassion on them. Understand what's going on behind the scenes. They really believe what they're telling you. They really are standing for abortion because they believe in it. 
They really are standing for homosexuality because they believe in it. It's not necessarily they're trying to be troublemakers. It's that they are trying to convey to you the deep passion they feel about these things. Now, they're absolutely wrong, and we never lower the standards of Scripture, but let's not be contentious. Let's not be maligning them. Let's not be slandering them. Let's not just throw them away and say, I have no use for you and insult them. No, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul tells us how to deal with people like this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. But refuse, he says, foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The people that Timothy had to deal with were into all kinds of speculative knowledge. Paul said, refuse that stuff. Why? Because they produce arguments. And then he says, you don't want to argue. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Don't be argumentative, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. He's saying, sit down with them. Be patient even when they slander you. Open the word to them. Speak to them with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Now, what this is saying, you may say, but but Steve, you said they can't understand the truth. That's right, but be patient and open up the truth to them because God may grant them in their minds repentance. You don't know who you're dealing with. Maybe God is working in this person's heart. Maybe he's he's an elect and he's going to be saved. You don't know. Witness, share, And then it says in verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You share with everyone. You share with everyone patiently. Don't insult them. Don't don't retaliate. Don't get offended by what they have to say to you. This is this is some these are some great truths. And you see now why you need to keep this in mind. So when you're in the midst of battle, you fall back on this. For sure enough, it's going to happen to me tomorrow. Whatever I preach on Sunday happens to me on Monday. It seems that way or that week. So it's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. You're going to be in the midst of something. There's a fourth description. Enslaved, he writes, to various lusts and pleasures. Before we became Christians, we might have considered ourselves free. You know, you witness to people and they say, look, I don't want to come to Christ. I'm free. I like my life. They think they're free to do whatever they want to do, but that's not true. That's really not true. In reality, we were once slaves to our own sinful desires and pleasures. We were slaves. We didn't think we were slaves because kind of we, we thought we were doing whatever we wanted to, but we were not. There was a bondage of the will. You were not free to obey God. You could not obey him. You could not please him. You made only choices in the realm of, of sin. Maybe you, you saw it in the St. Pete Times, the article, the Southern Baptists are debating about Calvinism and a major debate. You know, the founding fathers of the Southern Baptist Convention were uh, staunch Calvinists, and today still many are, but uh, the majority has moved away from Calvinism. And Calvinism, in case you're not aware of it, very briefly, Calvinism, named after John Calvin, is um, uh, a theology based on the sovereignty of God. There are There are five major points in Calvinism, but basically it's the fact that God is sovereign, and salvation is all of grace, nothing we could we could do, and uh, God worked in our hearts and brought the elect to himself. But it's very interesting, this article that I read yesterday had no mention of any scripture. Now, maybe it's because of the media, maybe those they interviewed did give scripture, but um, no mention of, of any scripture. And um, uh, they were discussing, discussing these things, and um, 
the reason for saying that is that it would have been great for somebody to use scripture that says, for example, John 8.34, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. There, there was and is a bondage of the will for those who are not believers. They are in bondage. And I read in this article that man is a free will. And so no scripture given. Listen, man doesn't have a free will. He may have a will, but it's not totally free. But let's look at, let's look, for example, at Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. The will is, the will is not free. We were enslaved, Paul says, to various lusts and pleasures. In Romans chapter six, verse six, notice Paul says, knowing that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We once were slaves to sin. He says in verse 19 of the same chapter, I'm speaking in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Once we were slaves. A slave was, is in bondage. In bondage. Your will was not free. Your will was not free. Now, why should it surprise us that our society is getting worse and worse. As I said a few moments ago, people say, oh, could it get any worse? I've never seen anything like that. Sure, because it's made up of people who are slaves to their own sinful desires and pleasures. They're driven to, uh, to pursue their sinful pleasures. It's a world gone mad with cravings for their own pleasures. Do you understand? That is our society. Whatever makes me feel good, I want Everything from sex to sports to food just make me feel good, and that's what I want. That is our world. In fact, interestingly, the English word pleasure uh, that's translated pleasure here is from the Greek word from which we get uh, our term uh, hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of self-satisfying pleasure. That's what hedonism is, and that's what this word means. Our society is driven by purely selfish reasons to do whatever they desire and whatever brings them pleasure. That's why you cannot reform the world because whatever they do stems from a nature that is dictated by lust and pleasure. It's as simple as that. Only the gospel can change their desires. Only the gospel can set them free. This is the society we need to deal with. And it it really shouldn't surprise us that they're like this because we were once like this. Whatever you used to do was motivated by selfishness. I look back at my life and I, and I see, and I came to know the Lord when I was 18 years old, but I look back and I see even the things that I thought were kind, you know, they were only so that I would get some attention and somebody would say, you're really a good guy. That's all. Never to please God. Never to, uh, to just obey him. Always to do something that would make me look good, motivated by self. Paul gives a fifth description. He says, spending our life in malice and envy. When your life is a continual search for pleasure and satisfaction, then it has to lead to malice. It has to lead to envy. Why? Because you're, gonna, you're never going to be satisfied. Never will you be satisfied. And then life becomes a mad race to keep up with others. And, and this results in feelings of envy because you look at other people and you say, I want what they have. I'm not satisfied with what I'm pursuing. They're getting what I want, so I hate them, and I'm envious towards them, and I'm never satisfied. 
the old Rolling Stones song is true, can't get no satisfaction. That's our society. See, people who crave pleasure never have enough. They never have enough. And they hate to see others have what they think would give them pleasure. See, the world may say, oh, I'm, I'm thrilled for you when something happens. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited for you. But in their envy, that's really not true. That's really, it's just the courtesy, courteous thing to say. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says that love never envies. Love never envies. The world may say, I'm thrilled for you, but what they really mean is, boy, I wish that was happening to me. Love never envies. Love wants what's best for somebody else without us being jealous and envious to get it. And that's why the world can cannot be anything but envious, because they don't know the love of God. They've never experienced it. The sixth description, Paul says, we were once hateful, hateful. Now, the thought here isn't that that we hate others, but that we're the kind of people who are hated by others. Before we were saved, did you realize that? You were the kind of people hated by others, and I was head of the list, because the meaning of this word is detestable, odious, disgusting, repulsive. Why were we like this? Because our self-centeredness and enviousness caused people to hate us. Now, they might have been outwardly kind to us. And he's just saying in general, sure, our families may have loved us and cared about us. But those who are consumed with themselves turn people off. We've, we've all been around people like this. Nobody enjoys being around someone like this. And by the way, all of these things can be carried into the Christian life. I mean, I haven't applied it that way because that's not Paul's point here. But all of these things, you may say, you know, I'm still like this. Uh, Then you need to make some changes. In a world where everybody is looking out for themselves, you end up with people who are brutal, brutal. And this only causes people to hate them, people hating one another. And this leads really to Paul's final description of the way we once were. He says the, the last description at the end of verse 3, hating one another. The result of all of this self-centeredness is that we hated one another. We absolutely hated one another. When foolish, disobedient, deceived, detestable, envious, pleasure-seeking people are forced to live with each other and meet each other in a hundred different ways, the result is that they hate one another. When you're crammed into a, into a place where you're always making contact, boy, it's rough. I mean, just go to New York City. And see what that's like. Everybody trying to get along with one another. I can say that I'm from New York City, but it just, you know, that's kind of the way it is. There's only so much area and everybody's pushing and shoving and I want my way and you're getting in my way and get out of here. And that, that is the society we live in. Hating one another. There you have it. That's the way we once were. The people that we're called to love and to be kind to, and to be patient with, and to treat with compassion are just like this. And it is not easy to get along with them, let alone be loving to them. But Paul's point is this, don't be too hard on them because you were once like them. So let's be godly in our in our dealings with them and try to win them to Christ. And that's what I've been saying for several weeks. It's not our goal, and it shouldn't be, to reform society to boycott everybody who disagrees with us, to be right-wingers who are perceived as arrogant and uh, intolerant of anybody who disagrees with us. The world has every right to disagree with us. 
And our job is to love them and be kind to them and share the gospel with them. And some will be saved. You see, the awareness that you were once characterized by these same sins, driven by these same selfish motives that that now repulse us, ought to humble us. It ought to uh, protect us against having this this attitude of looking down on people. We ought to have that that D.L. Moody attitude, except for the grace of God, that's where we would still be. That's where we would still be. As one person I read put it, he put it this way, we must look at the unsaved as our Lord looked at them during his incarnation and still looks at them now with grief and tears over their lostness and a compassionate desire to see them repent, believe in Christ, and be saved. I wonder, do you have that kind of compassion? Do you really have a heartbeat for them? Would you grieve over the lost? Would you cry for them? Do you understand now why the unsaved act like the unsaved? I mean, we ought to have compassion. They are deceived creatures, deceived people, disobedient, deceived, entrapped by their own lusts. Why we shouldn't be too hard on them, we never excuse their sin, but why we shouldn't be too hard on them, be nasty or condescending, think that, that God forbid we should think that we're better than them. We are what we are by the grace of God. We were just like them and we'd still be like them except that Christ intervened in our lives, which leads us to a second reason why we should treat the lost with kindness. We're only going to touch on this. We'll do more next week. Number one, why treat the lost with kindness? Because you were once like them. You understand where they're coming from. Number two, because God has been so kind to you, been so kind to me. Notice verse four. I'll just read the beginning right now. The beginning, one word, but, but. Paul begins with the little word, but, because he's presenting a contrast between the way we once were and now the way we are. We once were like this, but now we're like this. In other words, we once were odious self-censored, pleasure-hungry sinners, but now we have been saved and we are transformed. Why? Well, let's read on verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, and Paul goes on to speak about our salvation, because of God's kindness and love for you. That's why you ought to treat people with kindness and love, because God has been that way towards you. Even though we were once like the people who now turn us off, God intervened in our lives and in his kindness and mercy and grace, he saved you, he transformed you, he changed your life, he gave you a new nature. What comes out of you now ought to be the the, uh, truth and godliness of Christ. With the coming of Jesus Christ, that's what he means by the appearing of Christ or his appearance, the coming of Christ to earth, he paid for our sins and having paid for our sins, he drew us to himself In our lifetimes, he brought us to faith in Christ. We are completely forgiven and transformed. And Paul's point is this. If God has been so kind to people like you, then you must be kind to people who were once like you because you hold a key, a key, to their salvation. Well, there you have it. That's what we need to do. That's two reasons why we need to be kind. And next week we'll see how kind God has been to us, how gracious he's been. We need to be quiet now. We need to. I'm going to ask you for some silence. I'm going to ask you to put your Bibles away. I'm going to ask you to quietly bow your head. And I'm going to give some thoughts as we're still before him. And I want you to just think about some things. What about your attitude? 
What about you? Do you have an attitude of disgust towards not just the sin, but sinners? You need to be changed from that. How do you feel about people who think differently from you, behave differently? You should be, for example, disgusted by the sin of homosexuality, but you should love homosexuals. Except for the grace of God, that's where each of us are. Could be. If not, other things. What about the liberal media? You despise them. How about the ungodly politicians, immoral entertainers, egomaniac sports figures, ungodly relatives, co-workers, even family workers, who every time you think about them, your stomach is tied up in knots. Would you cry out to God, God, help me to love them. I now understand what you've done in my life. I now understand that, Lord, everything you said in this verse, verse 3, is true of me and so much more that that wasn't even told. Do you have an attitude of self-righteousness? That needs to be repented of. The way you repent is you cry out and you acknowledge it. And you don't try to kid anybody and fool the Lord. You just say, Lord, I'm I'm so wicked. I'm not loving like I should be. I wish all of these people would just would just die and go to hell and leave me alone. If that's your attitude, you need to repent. Jesus loves them, died for them, desires them to be saved. God can help you to be kind and loving to them. And when you think that you're being drawn away from that, then remember where you've come from and remember that you are only what you are by God's kindness and grace. He didn't need to be kind to you. He didn't need to be loving to you. There's nothing in you that deserved this. It's all of his doing. Your behavior is a key. I don't say the key, but it's a key to the salvation of those who are so different from you now. And I say to others who may not know Jesus Christ, Have you recognized how kind God has been to you? That you actually are alive? He's given you life and the opportunity to trust him? And maybe you know other Christians or Christians who have been kind to you. Have you thought about how you've treated them? Your stubbornness, your attitudes, things that you've said that have been harsh, and yet they've come back with love and kindness? That ought to move you to see the reality of Jesus Christ. That's supernatural. That's not because you're a nice guy or a nice person. It's because of the love of Christ. If you would like to speak to somebody about accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come up after the close of the service, right by the platform, just uh, by the communion table. One of our leaders will be there to share with you how you can become a new creature in Christ. Father, I do indeed thank you for reminding us, Lord, as humbling as it is, it uh, really does deal with pride, what we once were. Lord, I was once just like this, and I thank you that you saved me. Save me because of your grace and mercy, and others here as well. Nothing in us, you didn't look ahead and see that we would believe. No, no, we'd never come to believe unless you did a work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you help each of us 
to very much love the unlovely, to treat the people who are around us, who are so different in their values than we are with great love and compassion, to listen to them, Lord, to care about them, to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ who touched people and not just believers, who, who wept at funerals, who wept over the city of Jerusalem, who really grieved at the anguish of souls, who the Bible said had compassion on folks. Father, I pray that we might have that kind of love and grace and kindness. I pray for this week that you help us to apply these truths to our lives. And I also pray that you'll draw to yourself those who fit this description. May they be convicted of their sin. And may they see themselves as you see them. And may they, they want to escape the snare of the devil and come to faith in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for reminding us that as authentic Christians, we are not better than anyone else. We are just undeserving recipients of God's grace. Pastor Steve is teaching from Titus chapter 3 about godly living in a godless world. He is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and these radio classes are an extension of his pulpit ministry. Our class today was the conclusion of a two-part message. To hear the whole message, call us at 727-239-0306 so you can order a CD or Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.